0: Invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And if you don't mind, I'd like to suggest something that you might share with your friend. And that something is a glass of sherry before dinner. Naturally, a glass of Petri California sherry. I say Petri sherry because it's the perfect before-dinner wine. You couldn't think of a better way to begin a meal. That Petri sherry has a beautiful inviting color, color, like dark amber, and for flavor, well, you've heard sherry described many times as having a rich, nut-like flavor. But if you want to learn for the first time what those words rich and nut-like really mean, you just taste Petri Sherry. It's wonderful. Serve Petri Sherry by itself or serve it with hors d'oeuvres of those little cocktail sandwiches. And incidentally, if you prefer your sherry dry, you know, not sweet, just ask your wine merchant for Petri Pale Dry Sherry. The important thing to remember is, if you want sherry... You want Petri Sherry, because that means good Sherry. And now let's look in on our genial friend and good host, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Doctor.
1: Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Function to the minute as usual.
0: Never keep a doctor waiting, I always say. Particularly Dr. Watson. <laughs> Draw up a chair, my boy. Thanks. Ah, uh, absolutely. All oh, ready to tell us the Sherlock Holmes adventure of the Speckled Band, Doctor. Yes, I'm all ready, Mr. Bartell. Say, Doctor, just what does the Speckled Band mean? <laughs> Wait
1: till I've told you the story, young fellow, my lad. You'll find out for yourself. <laughs> Sorry. The floor is all yours, Doctor. The adventure of the Speckled Band began on a rainy April morning in 1883. An urgent call from one of my patients had kept me up most of the night before, and in consequence, I came down to my breakfast rather later than usual. To find that Holmes already left our house some hours earlier. As I sat there reading the morning paper and consuming my two lightly boiled eggs, there was a knock on the door. It opened to disclose a typical example of the British working man a bag of tools in one hand and a grimy cap in the other. I can hear him now as he spoke to me from the doorway.
2: you send for me, Mr. Holmes? I'm not, Mr. Holmes. I'll beg your pardon, Governor i have cut him in the gas bracket over the mouthpiece. Oh? What's wrong with it? I've got a leak in it. A leak? Well, well, well get along with your work. Yes, sir. hope I won't disturb you, sir. Oh, no, that's all right, my man. Don't mind me. Very untidy man, Mr. Holmes, sir. What do you mean by that? Well, sir, you can't help noticing the mess this room's in. I've heard, say he was as tidy as any when he started, but he learned his habits from a, from a bloke what lived with him. Doctor, the uh, Doctor Watson, I you You impotent fellow. Imp- how
1: dare you talk like that? I've got a good man...
2: Place before we go. Here! Here, come out of there! That's Mr. Holmes's room. Don't be angry with me, Watson. I was just slipping out of these grimy rags and into a dressing gown. Oh, good gracious me! <laughs> so it was you, Holmes. Um,
1: upon my soul.
2: Uh, I've never recognized you, but... But why the disguise? Uh, well, a case, my dear fellow, a case. One of those small problems which a trusting public occasionally confides to my investigation. To the British workman, old chap, all doors are open. Yes. His costume is unostentatious, and his habits are sociable. tool bag is an excellent passport, and a tawny moustache will secure the the cooperation of the maids. Oh, but what's the case, Holmes? Modest little drama of life in the kitchen, one of those seemingly inconsequential affairs, and get the honour of a duchess at stake. mad world, my master, a mad world.
1: Ah!
2: Now I feel a little more comfortable. Let's return to the sitting room, shall we, and... strong cup of tea would be acceptable. Oh, she'll tell me about the Duchess and life in the kitchen. Another panel for us another time. At the moment, suppose you tell me what you know of Miss Helen Stoner. I received a letter from her this morning in which she informed me that she would be calling here at 11 and also that she was a friend of yours. Yes, Helen Stoner. Yes, indeed,
1: a charming
2: girl. Then pour me a cup of tea, Watson, and tell me about her.
1: Well, I befriended her at the time of the tragic death of her sister two years ago. I told you about
2: the case. Uh, don't you remember? The sudden death of Violet Stoner at an old house in Stoke Moran? Oh, yes, yes, yes. What? It all comes back to me now. There was an inquest, wasn't There With well, yes, uh, a string of stupid and ineffective witnesses. I
1: stupid. I, I was one of them. Oh, I beg
2: your pardon. Well, then, uh, uh, you were the exception, of course. Hmm? Uh, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me see. I docketed the evidence on the case. Uh, where was it? That's scrapbook. Oh, yes, here we are. Here we are now. Let's see. Yes. F. Sol murder, Lord St. Simon. Ah, here we are. Stoke Moran. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I remember the affair quite well now. The villain of the piece was Dr. Grimsby Roylott, wasn't he? Yes, a
1: dreadful
2: fellow. He's a stepfather of the two girls. Violet, the one who
1: died so was and Helen,
2: the one who's come here to see you. Uh, Dr. Roylott is a pretty record. Fifty-five years of age, killed his pit in India, once in an insane asylum, married money, wife died, distinguished surgeon. Oh, ah, I wonder what the distinguished surgeon has been up to now. Oh, i Oh, why do you say that?
1: Do you remember that Miss Violet Stoner's death followed close upon the announcement of her engagement? Yes, I do. Well, I met Miss Helen Stoner in the streets a few weeks ago. She told me that she had just become engaged herself to a young fellow in the Army who was leaving for the Far East. She was really
2: upset at the thought of being alone with her stepfather at Stoke Moran. Well, that's quite natural. You see, Dr. Roylott stands to lose a considerable sum of money in the event of his stepdaughter's marriage. Yes,
1: they both had a trust
2: fund which he administered
1: only as long as the girls were unmarried. That fact was brought out at the coroner's inquest two years ago. But if Roylott did poison the other stepdaughter, and I'm convinced he did, it seems unlikely that he'd try it again. Two sudden deaths in the
2: same household would hardly pass the coroner. No, 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 my dear Watson, you're making the mistake of putting your normal brain into Roylott's abnormal being. Oh, Uh, that must be Miss Stoner now. Yes, it's precisely 11 o'clock. Well, let's see what we can do for her. I hope you can help her, Holmes. She's an extremely nice girl. Come in. Here's Mrs. Hudson.
3: There's a Miss Helen Stoner to see you, sir. She says she has an appointment.
2: Show her in, please, Mrs. Hudson.
3: Aye, sir. Come in, my dear. Thank
1: you. Oh, Miss... Miss Stoner, I'm I'm so glad to see you again.
3: Oh, how do you do, Dr. Watson? And this must be your friend. Yes,
2: Miss Stoner, I am Sherlock Holmes. Sit down by the fire, won't you? Uh, Yes, please sit down, dear. You're trembling with cold.
3: It's not cold that makes me shiver. Tell me, Mr. Holmes, has my stepfather, Dr. Grimsby Royal, been here? No, he hasn't. He saw me in the street. I dashed by him in a hansom cab, but he saw me. Our eyes met and he waved me to stop, but I came here as fast as I could.
2: A very sensible move. Dr. Watson has already given me several hints as to your present problem as well as having refreshed my memory as to the circumstances of your sister's death.
3: My problem is a simple enough one, Mr. Holmes. I'm... I'm waiting to be murdered.
2: No, no, no. You'll be a of more me? explicit, Miss Donah.
3: Very well, Mr. Holmes. My fiancé is leaving for the Far East today. When he leaves, I shall be alone with my stepfather at Stoke Moran. He plans to murder me just as he murdered my sister. What makes you
2: say that, Miss Donna?
3: Many strange things have happened recently. For instance, he's just moved me into the bedroom in which my sister died.
1: And what reason did he give for changing your room?
3: That my old one needed repainting. It didn't need it. But Dr. Roylett did need to move me into that horrible room. And other things have happened. I've I've heard the music again.
2: Music? What music?
3: My sister first heard it a few days before she died. I heard it myself on that dreadful night she breathed her last. I was on that terrible. Don't worry
2: anymore, my dear. Don't worry. You have friends to help you now. Uh, look here, do you mind if I ask you a few questions?
3: no. Of course not. Very well
2: now, this music, does it seem to come from inside the house or outside?
3: Well, it, it's hard to say. It, it sounds so faint. What's it like? A sort of soft droning sound. Isn't
2: like a flute or pipe?
3: Yes. It, it reminds me of native music I heard during my childhood in India. India?
2: Yeah?
3: There's one other thing that puzzles me, Mr. Holmes.
2: Oh, what's that?
3: My sister's dying words. As she lay in my arms, she, she gasped out two words. What were they? Band and speckled. You remember that evidence in the inquest, don't you, Dr. Watson? Yes, yes, I
2: do. I couldn't make it at all. You know? Band, speckled, Indian music. Miss Stoner, do you sleep with your door and windows fastened?
3: Yes, Mr. Holmes, but so did poor Violet. It didn't save her, though.
2: What did you gather from your sister's dying allusion to a band? Uh, I mean, a speckled band.
3: Well, sometimes I, I thought it was merely the wild talk of delirium. And sometimes that it referred to a band of people. Oh, yes. I remember that there were some gypsies in camp quite near us at the time of Violet's death. Gypsies, eh? Yes. It occurred to me that the spotted, gaily colored kerchiefs which so many of them wear over their heads, might have suggested the unusual adjective which my sister used. Miss
1: Turner, how long is it since you heard this strange music that you
2: told us about?
3: I heard it last night. Last
2: night? Nice. Our fiancée leaves today, you say? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Well, Miss Turner, I shall do everything I can to help you. If we were to come down to Stoke Moran today, would it be possible to see over your rooms without the knowledge of your stepfather?
3: Now, I think so. He told me this morning that he intended to take a late train home tonight. Splendid.
2: Watson, out with the timetable, old fellow, and look up the trains
3: to stoke my ramp. Right, you homestead. Oh, that's my stepfather. I know it is. Oh, yes. Yes, there he is on the doorstep. Oh, Mr. Holmes, he's followed me. What shall I do if he finds me no, here? Don't worry,
2: Miss Stoner. Please don't worry. There's a private exit through that room there. At Watson will show you the way. Come along with me, my dear young lady.
3: And you will come down today, Mr. Holmes. Certainly,
2: Miss I'll telegraph you the time of our arrival. Goodbye and courage, my dear.
3: Goodbye, Mr. Holmes, and thank you. Come along, come
1: along quickly,
3: Miss Stoner.
2: Come Yes, Mrs. Hudson?
3: A, a gentleman, sir. I told him he wouldn't see anyone without an appointment. Out of the way, woman. Will you push me like that? I'm sorry, Mr. That's George. all right,
2: Mrs. Hudson. You can lead yes.
3: us. What kind of gentleman does he call himself pushing an old school?
2: So you're Sherlock Holmes. You have the advantage of me, sir. Your name is. Uh... My name, sir, is Roylott. Dr. Grimsby Roylott of Stoke Moran. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Charming place, I right hear, and obviously good for the month. You won't trifle with me if you know what's good for you. Ah, oh, Watson, there you are. How was the, uh, uh, the experiment? Very successful,
1: Holmes. Good day to you, Dr. Oilert. I haven't seen you since I gave evidence at your stepdaughter's inquest. Yes,
2: yes, I remember you, Dr. Watson. Now listen to me, you two. My stepdaughter's been here, I've her. What's she been saying to you? It's a little cold for the time of year, isn't it? You answer me. I hear the crocuses from as well. You dare to try and put me off, do you? I know you, you scoundrel. The Holmes the meddler. Who oh, am I? Holmes the busybody. I believe that a man should occupy his time. Holmes the Scotland Yard jack-in-office. And when you go out, close the door, won't you, little draught? I'll go when I've had my way. Keep your nose out of my affairs, do you hear? Oh, yes, my hearing is excellent, thank you. And your diction and delivery, most forceful. But time flies, my dear doctor. Time flies, and life has its duties as well as its pleasures. Goodbye. Insolent rascal. Here. See this poker? Oh, the fire doesn't need poking. Thank you, doctor, please. But I should be obliged if you put some more coal on for me. You laugh at me. You don't know my strength. Look. There. There
1: double. And that's what I'll do to both of you.
2: you. Don't keep out of my affairs. Oh, dear. I had a presentment that he'd slammed the door. Phew. He's an ugly customer. Holmes. Literally, as well as figuratively. Watson, I'd be much obliged if you get your revolver. It may prove to be an excellent argument for the gentleman who twists iron focus into knots. The fellow's amazingly strong. Well, look at it. Well, I, uh, I don't want to appear flamboyant, but... Ah, there we are. Great. Scott Holmes, you've straightened the poker out again. Yes, it was utterly useless in its former shape. And now, Watson, that timetable will catch the next fast train for Stoke Moran.
3: Oh, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, I'm so relieved that you've come. But don't you think my stepfather might have followed you down here? You have to
2: take that chance, Miss Turner. A few hours delay might mean a difference between your life and death. It is imperative that we examine this bedroom of yours before dr roylet's return anyway my dear you mustn't worry anymore we are here in your house and we're going to take good care that no harm befalls you
3: thank you dr watson right,
2: so this is the room in which your sister died is it mm. much as i pictured it dr roylet's room adjoins this one you say mr
3: yes doctor on that side the room which adjoins it on the other side is my regular bedroom
2: are the ones being so convenient to paint today you. well let's examine this room uh-huh no trap doors or sliding panels i suppose Mm-hmm.
1: Sounds
2: solid enough, Holmes. Yes, I think it is. Mara, right, what's this? Are you aware that this bed is clamped to the floor, Miss Stoner?
3: Why, I know, Mister Holmes. I didn't know that. Only hey? thing,
2: was the bed in your other room anchored also?
3: No, I, I don't think it was. It's
2: very illuminating. And this bell pull, hanging against the wall above your bed.
3: Oh, that it, it doesn't work. Well, but if you if you want to ring, there's another one on the other wall over there.
2: Then uh, why this one?
3: I don't know. My stepfather made a number of changes after he came here.
2: Yeah, it was quite a first activity, apparently. Eh? And uh, it took some strange shapes. Oh. Why are you standing on the bed, Holmes? I'm curious, old fellow. Uh-huh. It may interest you to know that this bell rope is fastened to a brass hook. There's no wire attachment. It's a dummy. A
3: dummy? With
2: wire. There's a small screen above it. It's a ventilator, I suppose.
3: Uh, yes, Mr. Holmes.
2: Yes. A ventilator leading into your stepfather's room. Hmm. Curious. I noticed there's no means of opening the ventilator on this side. It can only be operated from your stepfather's room next door. I wonder if you might mind taking us in there.
3: Of course, Mr. Holmes. Follow me. Thank you.
2: What do you make of it, old Holmes? There's devils work a old chap.
3: Here we are, Mr. Holmes. Hmm. Much the same as the
2: other room. A bit bigger, perhaps. That large safe against the wall seems to be an unusual piece of bedroom furniture. What is it, Miss Doner?
3: My stepfather's business papers. Are You've seen inside it, then. Only once, some years ago. I remember that it was full of documents.
2: What's this saucer of milk doing on the top of it? Does Dr. Royley keep a cat?
3: No, but he does have a cheetah and a baboon as pets. He brought them with him from India.
2: Well, Holmes, a cheetah is just a big cat. true, my dear fellow, but I doubt if a saucer of milk would go very far in satisfying the appetite of a cheetah. Well, I think I've seen enough. This matter is too serious for hesitation your life. They depend upon your following my instructions, Miss Stoner. I'll
3: do anything you say, Mr. Holmes, anything. Is that the village
2: inn I see through the trees from this window? Yes,
3: the Queen's are. Your
2: bedroom windows would be visible from there? Yes, Mr.
3: Holmes. Very well, then.
2: Watson and I will go there now and obtain accommodation. When your stepfather returns, you must confine yourself to your room on the pretense of a headache. You follow me?
3: Perfectly.
2: When Dr. Rolliott retires for the night, you must open your bedroom window and put your lamp on the sill as a signal to us at the inn. Then withdraw quietly to your usual bedroom and the one that's being painted. I'm sure that you can manage that for one night. Of
3: course, What will you do?
2: When we get your signal, Dr. Watson and I will come here and spend the night in your dead sister's room. We are going to solve this mystery of the dummy bell pull, the unusual ventilator, and the strange music in the night.
0: You'll hear the remainder of Dr. Watson's story in just a second, so I'm just going to point out that at any really important dinner, you know, like when diplomats get together, you'll find wine on the table. Because for years, it's been a known fact that good wine makes good food taste better. Prove that to yourself tomorrow night by having your dinner together with a glass of Petri wine. If you prefer a red wine for any meat or meat dish, try a Petri California Burgundy. That rich, hearty red Petri Burgundy is really out of this world. Now, if you'd rather have a subtle, intriguing white wine, let's say to go with chicken or fish, then try Petri California Sauternes but Turn or Burgundy to make sure it's good. Make sure it's petry, won't you? Well, Doctor, it's a rattling good story so far. What happened next? You went to the local inn, I guess, and waited for that lantern to appear in the bedroom window at Dr. Royal's house?
1: That's right, Mr. Bartell.
0: We had an early dinner at the Queen's Arms and
1: then retired to our upstairs bedroom and sat side by side, puffing away at our pipes, our eyes straining through the darkness that telltale lantern to give us the signal that there was dangerous work ahead of us. As we sat there discussing the various aspects of the case, I remember that Holmes was very concerned about my own safety. I, uh, I really have some scruples
2: about taking you with me night. This is an dangerous business. And what about that poor
1: girl alone in the house, that fiend, Royalty?
2: Well, I can handle the case by myself, old oh, chap. I'm coming with you, Holmes. You speak of danger,
1: You haven't seen more in those rooms than was visible to me.
2: No, but possibly I've deduced a little more. I imagine that you saw all that I did. Well, I saw nothing remarkable except the bell rope, and
1: what purpose? That good answer, I confess, is more than I can imagine. It's a the ventilator, too. Yes, but I don't think it's such an unusual thing to have an opening between two rooms. It's so small that a mouse could hardly pass through it. Oh,
2: so, but at least you will admit there is a curious sequence of coincidences. A ventilator is constructed. A bell cord is hung from it. A lady sleeps in a bed directly below the ventilator, a bed that is anchored to the floor. The lady dies. I can see what you're driving at, Holmes. Look, 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 look. There's a lantern in Miss Turner's window. That's our signal, all right. Come on, Watson. Our night's vigil begins. All night, all night for a foul business, Watson. Come on, through these laurel bushes. It's only another fifty yards to the house. The lantern's still burning away in the bedroom window. Yes, and all the other lights are out, including the one in Doctor Rylott's room. He must have gone to sleep. To bed, possibly, Watson, but not, I think, to sleep. Great
1: heavens, Holmes! Look! Look at that frightful creature leaping about in the moonlight. It looks like some hideous child.
2: That's Doctor Rylott's pet. Mm. It looks possibly human. Yes. It's probably a great deal more so than its master. Shh. Better below the window now. If Ivy provides a most convenient ladder, I'll go up first here. Yeah, wait a minute. On, careful, careful. Uh, yeah, I hope
1: the thing is uh, strong enough to hold us both. Oh. Oh, we look pretty stupid have acted in the mud. Uh, give
2: give me a hand, Holmes, will you? I can't quite get my leg over, over this window. There
1: Same as it did this afternoon.
2: leaves no trace. You mean the... thing no more talking, Watson, no more talking. I'll sit on the edge of the bed here, You sit on that chair. We get a barber ready in case you should need it. Right, your house. Oh. Have a lantern ready, too. When I shout now, turn the light. Pull on the top of the bell rope. You understand? Perfect. Good. Now we must wait. Perhaps for some time. But don't go to sleep, old fellow, don't go to sleep. Your very life may depend on it. Ooh.
1: down the bell row. <laughs> you can't kill it, Ratstick. Holmes, out of the way. I'm trying so to get a son of a Look at him sprawling on the bed. Look at his eyes.
2: Yes, and see what's coiled round his body. The snake! Yes, the band. The speckled band. He's dead, Holmes. Yes. He's been bitten by the deadliest snake in the world, the Indian swamp adder. His deadly fangs produce death within ten seconds. Well, Watson, violence does in truth recoil upon the violence, and the schema falls into the fit digs for another. What should we do now, Holmes? We must remove the macabre headgear from the dead doctor and return the snake to its den. Then I suggest we tell Miss Turner that there's no more danger for our under this roof. After that we can turn the matter over to the local police. Our work is done. <laughs>
3: Dr. Watson, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you've brought me back here to oh Baker my
2: Street. Miss it would have been inhuman to leave you in that house of death and horror. We have a spare bedroom, and Mrs. Hudson is a motherly and understanding woman. And I can assure you that Dr. Watson and I will be delighted to have you stay here until you've decided on your future
3: plans. Yes,
1: of course we will, my dear. As a matter of fact, it's rather refreshing to have a touch
3: of, of youth about the place. <laughs> You're both so kind. I think it's wonderful how you foiled my stepfather's devilish
2: plans. Yes, wasn't it? A remarkable example of logical deduction. No, it wasn't, old chair, but first, your mention of the gypsies, Miss Stoner, and the use of the word banned, put me on an entirely wrong scent. However, when we examined the fatal room, I drew drew the obvious conclusion. You mean the dummy bell rope, Mm -hmm. the ventilator, and the movable bed? That's right, old fellow. It instantly gave rise to the suspicion that the rope was there as a bridge for something coming through the ventilator, and... uh, on down to the bed. I'd once thought of a snake. I saw the saucer of milk on top of the safe. Well, my suspicions crystallized into certainty.
3: Fiendish, plot, Fiendish. Yes,
2: an extremely Fiendish. clever one. Exactly.
3: My stepfather must have trained the snake to return to him when he played the music.
2: Yes. He put it through the ventilator with his certainty that it would crawl down the rope and land on the bed. It might or might not bite the occupant. Perhaps she might escape every night for a week, but, uh, oh, well... Sooner or later, she must fall a victim.
3: Thank heaven I came to you, Mr. Holmes. Amen
2: to that, Miss
1: Jones. Mr. You know,
3: Holmes, if you hadn't lashed at
1: the snake with your stick, I bet it wouldn't have turned back on its master.
2: That's true, old chap. That way, I'm no doubt indirectly responsible for Dr. Grimsby Roylet's death. <laughs> but I can't say it's a fact that's likely to weigh too heavily on my conscience. <laughs>
0: That was quite a fascinating story. You know something, I'm not exactly a coward, but no kidding, my toes really curl when I get mixed up with snakes.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, you're not alone in that respect, Mr. Bartell. I must admit that I like to have a revolver and at least twenty feet between me and any snake that must cross my path.
0: Well, if you want a revolver in twenty feet, I'll take a cannon in twenty miles.
1: <laughs> Fortunately, you're a wine expert, Mr. Bartell, and not a detective. I'm afraid you wouldn't, uh, shall we say, find detecting
0: much your liking. Oh, we certainly shall say it. And Incidentally, I'm not a wine expert, Doctor. All I know about wine is that it either tastes good or it doesn't. And I also know that Petri wine always tastes good. The Petri family sees to that. The name Petri on the label is the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of wine in that bottle is good wine. And they know how to make it good because they've been making fine wine for generations handing down from father to son, from father to son, every secret, every skill of the winemaker's art. Yes, the Petri family took time to bring you good wine. That's why no matter what type of wine you wish, you can't go wrong with a Petri wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you planning to tell us next week?
1: Well, now, let me see. Next week, Mr. Bartell, next week, I think I'll tell you an adventure that took... At a gambling casino in the south of France. The strange story of sudden tragedy and death. I call it the adventure of the double zero.
0: Down swell. We'll all be listening.
1: Oh, now, just a minute, Mr. Bartell. Before I go, I want to say that every one of our friends bought war bonds to help our boys win the war. Now let's all buy victory bonds to help bring them back home again. Yes, and let's buy victory bonds to make sure that the men who were wounded will get the finest possible care. Those same victory bonds will help make the G.I. Bill of Rights success, too. And they'll help provide for the families of those men who gave everything, including their lives. The men of our armed forces finished their job. Now let's finish ours. Buy victory bonds. <laughs>
0: The Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is an adaptation of the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Speckled Band. Music is by Dean Postler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California... Invite you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petrie family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting
3: System.